like a mattress on the wall there at the bottom, so if we take your right on that. <laughs> so have any of you guys ever been inside of a cave? Anybody? When I was around eight or, or ten years old, my, uh, my parents took my brother and me to Laurel Caverns that I bet Bob and Doris know. Laurel Caverns in southwestern PA. Right? It's actually the state's uh, longest and largest cave that runs about three miles of trails uh, inside a 435-acre geological park beneath Pennsylvania's Chestnut Ridge. And I can still remember uh, so vividly being hundreds of feet below the surface of the earth with these beautiful you know, rock formations that are highlighted by all these you know, multicolored lights. So, so you could really admire the, the unique and, and fascinating surfaces that you're surrounded by. And then at one point I remember the guide asking everybody to stand perfectly still for a moment while he turns off the lights. And, and, and being, uh, being there left standing in total darkness. Right? You've heard the expression, so dark you can't see the, the hand in front of your face. Well, that was it. Right? Uh, in a space that the guide explained was something like uh, 40% darker than the darkest night that you'd ever experienced on the surface of the earth. As you're standing there as a kid thinking, that was, that was probably a bit of trivia I could have lived without. Uh, and wanting with every fiber of my being to go back above ground and praying for the lights to come back on. Well, that feeling, that, that sensation, that helpless condition uh, was the daily lot of the man that Jesus encounters in today's gospel lesson, uh, a man by the name of Bartimaeus, who lived out his daily life inside of that reality, uh, just waiting and hoping constantly for someone to be kind enough to help him get around or, or to drop a few coins in his lap so he could buy food or, or even just to make sure he had some place to get in out of the rain because he literally could do nothing for himself. Couldn't do anything but just sit. S sit, you know, wherever somebody left him uh, hoping it was a good spot to collect a bit of charity and maybe listen in on some interesting conversations between bystanders who, who mostly paid him no attention at all uh, as he simply stared straight ahead into the uh, endless blackness of blinded eyes. And so I hope you have your Bible with you. It's great that it's going to be on the screen, but it's even more important that it's in the, the Bible in front of you. I'm going to be reading. This will take us uh, in our series to the last or the end of chapter 10 of Mark. So I'll be reading in Mark chapter 10, verses uh, 46 to 52. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the true and living God. Mark tells us, uh, and they came to Jericho, and as he, meaning Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. A Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, 
let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the opening of blinded eyes. And we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would grant us that same mercy this morning. uh, That you would open blinded eyes, that you would unstop clogged ears, that you would uh, tune our hearts and minds to receive your word, Lord, because uh, we want to see Jesus. And so we ask you for that grace in his name. Amen. Do you you guys think you could ever imagine what it was like to be blind? Do you really? I I don't know, because I don't think that you and I really can. I don't think we can really adequately even imagine blindness unless you've somehow experienced it for a period of time. Because unless you've felt it, then we probably really have no idea. I mean, because even like if right now, if I ask all of you to close your eyes for a minute, right, right now, and just, just imagine that you were never going to see again, uh, it, it would at best be play acting because it wouldn't be the genuine experience, right? You, you'd, you'd just be faking it. Kind of, kind of like these, these two guys that I heard about, Jeff and, and, and John, who were walking their dogs around town. They discovered a brand new restaurant that had just opened. Jeff said to John, well, let, let's, let's go inside and get something to eat. His, his buddy John said, don't you see the sign that says no pets allowed? Uh, John said, don't worry about it. Jeff said, watch this. So he gets out a pair of dark glasses, walks up to the door. Steps into the manager and says, hey, buddy, uh, no pets allowed. And Jeff said, you can't keep me out. I'm blind. This is, this is my seeing eye dog. And the manager said, but it's a sheepdog. Who uses a sheepdog as a seeing eye dog? And Jeff said, oh, you, you must not have heard this is the latest type of seeing eye dog. In fact, they're perfect for it because they can guide people as easily as they can hurt sheep. And so now, see, seeing that that ploy worked, John decides he wants to go in too, so he steps into the restaurant with his dog. And even before he could open his mouth, the manager says, don't tell me, let me guess. Uh, now chihuahuas are the latest type of seeing eye dog, right? And, and, and knowing that he was busted, but thinking really quickly, he felt down and said, you mean they gave me a chihuahua? I don't think the guys laughed at that at the sound check, so I wasn't sure if that was going to right. But, you know, even though we can laugh, can laugh at two guys trying to con their way into a restaurant, you know, blindness is no joke. Uh, it's it, not for Bartimaeus in the story uh, or for anyone experiencing it today. Whether it's profound physical blindness or even more profound spiritual blindness. But, you know, either way, every single person hearing this message today has a stake in it because whether you can see through the mechanism of your optic nerves or not, all of us are in need of having our eyes opened to the gospel. Uh, amen. And so, and so to do that, let's jump back in where we left off last Sunday, okay? So remember, last week we saw Jesus take his 12 disciples aside and tell them, you know, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that's been written by the prophets about the Son of Man is going to be fulfilled. And Jesus told them he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And they were going to mock him. And they were going to insult him and and spit on him and flog him and and kill him. But on the third day, he was going to rise again. And and we've talked about uh, the three separate times that are recorded in the Gospels where Jesus spoke of his death to his men. And how each time he had told them about what was to come, he got more explicit. 
And we read last week too about Jesus, uh, even, even in spite of that, walking steadfastly out in front of the crowd with his face set towards Jerusalem and the cross uh, in order to accomplish what he had come into the world to do. And so now today, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, what we see is Jesus traveling along the road that ran the border between Samaria and Galilee. And you've got to kind of remember, you know, kind of use your sacred imagination to remember the time frame he's doing this in. Right? It's the, the first century equivalent of holiday crowds and rush hour traffic all kind of rolled into one. As, as everybody from all over is headed to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Right? And, and so in doing that, they're jam-packing every road and, and footpath and, and tavern and town along the route. And in the course of the trip today, Jesus is approaching Jericho, which is a great place for a little rest stop. It's going to take him roughly within about 15 miles from his final destination. And as Jesus heads into Jericho itself, he meets a blind man named Bartimaeus. A man who quite honestly would have been very easy to just walk right by uh, and never even notice in the press of the crowds. Did you ever feel like that? Like, did you ever feel like life was passing you by? Well, that's how Bartimaeus felt. He'd, he'd been sitting on the sidelines of life. Right? He, was, he was begging because he was blind. He had no way of making a living for himself. Uh, and he definitely couldn't go on any trip. Right? Not, not like everyone else was doing this whole throng of humanity. That had been increasingly moving around him as the pre-holiday days and weeks went by. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, you know, just a few more at first. And now as pa- Passover loomed, literally hundreds of people passing through his town and right past him with all the joy and excitement of holiday travel in their voices. You know, all of them discussing how Jerusalem would be decorated for the holidays and about the sights and, and sounds and, and smells of this special occasion in the religious life of his people. And, and he was hearing all of this, but he wasn't a part of it. He wasn't really a part of much of anything because of his blindness. And, and the people just kept bustling right past him. But, but today, we're told there was an added excitement in the crowd because Bartimaeus sensed uh, the, the excitement building with the people, and someone told him that Jesus was in the crowd. And he had heard of Jesus. Right? Who hadn't in that area by then? And the scripture said, and when he uh, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Do you ever wish Jesus would ask you that? I have. And what I want us to notice is that when Jesus caught the sound of this blind man's voice, he basically stopped in his tracks. And he heard the desperate cry of someone, even over all the other voices in a crowd like that. And Jesus not only heard it with his ears, he heard it with the eyes of his heart. He heard and saw the cry of human need, and it touched the heart of Christ, and he stopped. And he didn't go on any further until he met this man's need. And we also see in the story that Bartimaeus' persistence paid off, didn't it? Because if he had allowed those other travelers to silence him, he would never have received his healing, would he? 
if he would have been afraid that his request was somehow not important enough to bother the master with, well, he never would have met the master, would he? If he had been afraid that Jesus might be annoyed with his request, life would have just kept passing him by and passing him by and nothing would have changed. If he'd been convinced that his desire might not have met with Jesus' approval, we would have just kept on being blind. Have you ever felt that way, though? Like your, your wants and desires and maybe even some of your needs are not things that are worthy enough of the Father's time for whatever reason. And maybe we all have occasionally felt like that. But Jesus wants us to know that we should always pray and never give up about everything and anything. In fact, he even told a parable about that. In Luke 18, he told them a parable to the effect that they had always to pray and never to lose heart. <clears throat> he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, although I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So, so in both these texts, in our, our lectionary reading in Mark about Bartimaeus and that parable from Luke, Jesus is teaching us basically you can't receive anything from God if you don't ask anything from God. You, you can't receive something from God uh, if you want it so little that you give up after the first time you ask for it. And instead you have to keep coming, even if at first it seems like he may be just as passing you by. You have to call to Jesus even if you're tempted to think your request is not important enough. And maybe more importantly, you have to be persistent even when you think your need is impossible and can't be met. That's why Matthew 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find a knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks to that one the door will be opened. And so you see, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are persistent and keep coming to God in faith. And now here's a disclaimer. Don't mishear me. This is not a health and wealth gospel message. So everyone repeat after me. This is not a health and wealth gospel message. Okay. No, no letters or emails tomorrow. The pastor fell off the reformed theology train. Okay. <clears throat> but at the same time, these verses seem to be acknowledging that we have desires and that somehow God desires to meet them. And so because we accept all of Scripture, we're forced to look at the text and allow the Holy Spirit to bring the meaning out of it, to, to bring some sense about what to do about these wants and about God's promise to meet them. Because in some measure, that's what our prayers consist of, right? Of us taking our wants and our needs and our desires and laying them before the Father and doing it in the name of Jesus. But if we don't even know how to express our wants, and if we aren't honest about the things that we want, then think about what that does to our prayer lives. Because we still have the things that we want, right? <clears throat> we still have those same wants that we want, regardless of whether we express them or not. And even if they're only down deep in the recesses of ourselves, but if we're not bringing them before God, we're only fooling ourselves. Because guess what? We're not fooling him. We're not fooling God. 
All those things are still there. And then when that happens, <clears throat> what happens is these things we desire, like my voice to clear up, need to be taken to the Father in prayer. And, and if we don't do that, we end up instead manifesting those things in really unhelpful and oftentimes destructive private ways. And, and for instance, like maybe mostly innocently at first, how about overindulging in fantasy movies and video games? Right? Think about it. Because let's say, let's say you feel a need. Let's say you feel a God-given desire to be a strong, capable person, man or woman, who, who makes a real and concrete contribution to your family and to your career and to your church life. You want, you want to be someone that people feel they can really count on, but you don't take that need to God, and then somehow we can't figure out how to do that or, or be that in our everyday lives. And so we retreat instead to watching movies or playing video games about heroes that you know slay the dragon and save the girl and rescue the village. But what we've done then is, if we take it too far, is satiate that good and godly desire to be a solid citizen of the kingdom and replace it with a false alternative of some silly little private fantasies. Instead of taking that good and godly initial desire to the Father in the first place. And sometimes, <clears throat> not always, but sometimes, sadly those fantasies don't just stop at the relative innocence of dungeons and dragons and princesses in distress, but can morph into the pornographic. Because, you know, in a sense, that's what pornography is, right? It's the twisting of the God-given desire to have good, intimate fellowship with someone of the opposite sex. But instead of actively praying for a Christian spouse if you're single or for proper relations with your spouse if you're married, if you already have a spouse, that folks will, again, and this, believe it or not, men or women, trade those God-given urges for airbrushed images that hop to and obey at the click of a mouse in digital 3D. And we kind of even do the same kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, do the same kind of thing with the God-ordained want and need aspects of material wealth and of Christian capitalism, right? Where maybe, let's say, we'll be looking at our pile of monthly bills, right? And we're trying to figure out how we're going to pay them. And, and instead of taking that need to God in genuine prayer, we'll slip into the fantasy of buying a lottery ticket. And, and we'll be thinking, man, if I just won this jackpot, well, then I would tithe. And if you do win the jackpot, I hope you figure out the tithe. <clears throat> I'll tithe and I'll fund missions and I'll help pastor expand the fellowship hall. And, you know, but, but all you're really doing, church, is, is just retreating from the reality in front of you to some pie-in-the-sky fantasy when the real answer is right before you the whole time. The answer of access to God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. And the real truth of this, I think, is, is a lot of times we don't always pray about things that we really, really desire because it doesn't always feel safe. It doesn't always feel safe to do it, does it? Because what if God says no? What if Bartimaeus had asked for a sight back and God would have, Jesus would have said no? But I think if we're really, really honest, the even more frightening part is, what if we want to pray about something and God wants to change that want instead? That's a lot scarier, right? We want to pray about a want, but God wants to change that want instead. Like, like I say, what, what if we pray about wanting to be more involved in, 
contributing to our families and our communities and our church, and then heaven forbid, God actually finds us something to do. <clears throat> and, he, and he tells us to stop sitting on our brains and actually go out and do it, right? What, what, if, we, what if we pray about those God-given physical needs and, and sexual desires that we have, and then the Holy Spirit reminds us of 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 that says God's will is for you to be holy and to stay away from all sexual sin. And then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Or what if we pray about that big pile of bills and then God calls to our remembrance that we haven't even been handling the little he's blessed us with properly. And then what if he asked us a question back, like in Malachi 3, when he said to the people, should, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. And we're probably, you, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings. No, I'm sorry. Um, I, my, yeah, so should, God asked, should people cheat God? Yet you've treated me. And we ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And God replies, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings. Do me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be food enough in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test and see if I won't. And I say all of that because far from this being a health and wealth message, remember, this is not a health and wealth gospel message, right? <clears throat> The story of the encounter of blind Bartimaeus with Jesus teaches us that God rewards those who are passionate about him and about the wants that he wants for us. That's why the riches of the kingdom of heaven are not for the ho-hum, half-hearted follower. Right? You, you can't be passive about God and at the same time claim to be seeking anything from him. And, and so the question you and I have to answer today is, how interested are you in knowing God and having him as a total part of your life? actively as a part of it and doing it by taking him all of our wants the the good the bad the ugly and everything in between because he already knows anyway so so will you take them to him today will, will you take them to him to fulfill or to change or in some cases will you take him your wants maybe even for him to forgive if you find yourself wanting something that's outside his will and our answer to that question is going to determine how much God does in our lives. I mean, you know, we, we may come to church and pray about things, but do you actively and passionately seek God throughout the week? And we have to ask ourselves, does a little dose of God on a Sunday do it for us? Or do we want everything that God has for us and feel like we can never get enough of him? See, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be fulfilled. You see, Bartimaeus was passionate about seeking God that day in Jericho, wasn't he? And he kept calling out to God with all of his heart in spite of all the obstacles and the people who were trying to discourage him. He just kept calling out even when it seemed like Jesus wasn't responding to him very quickly. Because, you know, when the people tried to silence him, he only cried out all the louder. And what did he cry when he did? Notice Bartimaeus called him son of David. And that's significant because it was, that's a messianic title. Bartimaeus was expressing in his call his genuine belief and his acceptance of Jesus as the chosen one of God. And actually, just, just as an aside, if you think about it, it kind of adds a little funny element to the story. 
that this man, this blind man, was the only one in the whole crowd that day who recognized the Messiah. Right? He, he was the only one who saw Jesus for who he really was, and he was blind. Right? The late R.C. Sproul in his commentary on this said, This is remarkable messianic insight on Bartimaeus' part, for the, the appellation son of David is a title for the Messiah. And Jesus has not been openly revealing his messianic identity. Only the Holy Spirit could have revealed this to him, just shown this to him. And his request for the restoration of his sight demonstrates his good understanding of what the Messiah is supposed to do. And of Jesus as the promised one who comes to restore all things, even his lost eyesight. And that's exactly what happened, isn't it? And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well and immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. And so just, just imagine what that would be like. Because as soon as Bartimaeus received his sight, what did he see? The first thing he saw was Jesus. And he wanted to do nothing more than to follow him wherever he went. To follow him, uh, the text says, in the way. The way of the Christian. And that needs to be, brothers and sisters, our ardent desire today to follow Jesus in the way. With the eyes of our hearts wide open to see him in all his glory and to be moved to serve him out of gratitude for our salvation and daily growing in our obedience as we take him our, our wants and our needs and our desires laying them all before the foot of his throne and just saying no matter what we want to see Jesus amen will you pray with me God our father we thank you for opening blind eyes, and I ask, Lord, that that would happen in this moment. If there's even one, Lord, uh, here with us or hearing this message that doesn't know uh, the good news of the gospel, I ask, Lord, you'd surprise them by the power of your presence, that you would uh, open ears, open eyes, open hearts, uh, and, and move in that person, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to have been together to share in your word. We ask even more that you would send us out filled with it to share it with everyone you bring us in contact with this week. So, Father, we thank and praise you for all that you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen.